0: God, uh, this morning we do uh, acknowledge and uh, even celebrate uh, what appears to be uh, very good news with the Roe v. Wade uh, possibly being overturned. Uh, God, we, we want to celebrate that, what, what looks to be uh, just an awesome uh, celebration where, God, we acknowledge every life is precious. Every life uh, has worth and Lord, even in the womb, and we pray that this would come to fruition. That our country would also acknowledge that. And yet, Lord, with this uh, likely being overturned, there will be more, more opportunities for the church to come around uh, birth moms and and other families and children. And we pray, God, that you would um, equip our church to step up uh, when that occurs. Lord, we want to be uh, pro life, not just in the womb, but all the way to the tomb. So, God, would you equip us to doing just that? Uh, Lord, I also want to lift up um, or individuals who are here today where Mother's Day is a heavy and sad uh, day. We pray for them today. Lord, we uh, ask that you would give them an extra measure of your strength and your grace today. Lord, you comfort them and remind them, oh God, that you do work out all things for our good. Lord, I pray as we uh, turn to your word now, God, be our teacher. Would you be our guide? Would you give us understanding into this text and challenge us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've had a lot of rain this week, as I'm sure you are well aware, and uh, like many of you, I've just naturally kept my eye on my gutters uh, around my home. Uh, I've been looking and, and making sure that the rainwater you know, is running smoothly, because uh, if not, there's a problem. Right? There's a likely clog uh, in the gutters. And of course, this week, <laughs> it being spring, and I haven't cleaned out my gutters yet, there was uh, an area uh, in, on the gutters there where the, the water was collecting, and it was actually spilling out over the gutters and coming down onto uh, my driveway. And so I thought to myself, I've got a problem. I, I need to go out there and, and, and unclog the gutters. So I got my ladder, and uh, if you know my relationship with heights, you know that's a big deal, um, but I got my, and I'm not very handy either. But I can handle clogged gutters. So I got my ladder out, and and I made sure it was it was steady, it's on sturdy ground, and, and I started to climb my ladder. You know, one step at a time. I appreciate efficiency, but you can't rush that process. One rung at a time, all the way to the top. And sure enough, uh, the gutters were clogged there. So I cleaned that out, which is always a messy uh, experience, and the problem was solved. Now to state the obvious. There's no way I would have been able to unclog and clean my gutters without my ladder, right? There's too much of a distance between where I was and where I needed to be. I needed my ladder, but I needed uh, to use my ladder properly. I share that with you this morning because I think that the Apostle Peter is calling us to something very, very similar in the Christian life that if cleaned gutters is a picture or a metaphor for the godly life that God calls us to from verse three, then in verses five through seven, I think that Peter is describing the spiritual ladder of virtue. I think here, Peter is describing this ladder of Christ-likeness, if you will, that uh, has eight different rungs to it eight different godly characteristics that we are called to uh, cultivate and to grow in our own lives. And without them, there's no godliness. W- without this ladder in our lives, we just, we just have a life that's spilling over with sin. There's, there's no cleaned-out gutters, uh, to use the metaphor. Now, last week, uh, in verses 3 through 4, we learned that the goal of the Christian life is godliness— that the source is God's divine power, and the means uh, is this intimate personal knowledge of God and his promises. Okay, maybe to switch metaphors for a moment, if we are the light bulbs, then God is the generator of electricity, and the cables that carry the power to us uh, are a personal knowledge of God and his promises. Okay, so verses five through seven then is a description of what a life looks like being lit up with God's power. And that's what we have here in verses five through seven. And the key is understanding this spiritual ladder of virtue. Now, I think a ladder is a helpful metaphor to describe growth in the Christian life. Ladder, you climb one step at a time, one rung at a time. You can't rush that process. You can't just leap up to the top, right? So a ladder implies slow and steady progress. Each rung is, is connected and dependent on the previous one. To state the obvious, of course, we do the climbing. The ladder doesn't do the climbing for us. We put forth the necessary effort and work to get to the top of that ladder. Now, with that in mind, I want to unpack uh, these three verses by looking at two things today. I want us to look at the proper motivation for climbing Uh, this spiritual ladder of virtue, and then I want to look at the method uh, by which we are called uh, to use in climbing this spiritual ladder. All right, so motivation and method. Here's the first one. Verse 5a, we see the proper motivation. Look with me at the beginning phrase really here in verse 5. Uh, Peter, uh, before he gives the command here to climb the ladder, he first begins with the reason To climb the ladder, the the motive. So before the what, he provides the why. Before the imperative and really unpacking the imperative, he wants to ground the imperative in the indicative. And that's really important to know. Like throughout the Bible, uh, in the Christian life, God does not just give us commands and say, do this because I told you so. Now, if he did, that that should suffice. That should be all that we need right? We follow our, we obey our creator. But God, in his great mercy, has actually given us various reasons, various motivations to obey him. I'll unpack that in a moment. But here, Peter says, for this very reason. Okay, with that phrase, Peter is telling us that motives matter. The reason you pursue godliness is just as important as being godly. So he says, do this for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Why should we climb this spiritual ladder of virtue? Well, the reason is based on what he has stated in verses one through four. What he has stated is that we are to grow in grace because we've been captured by grace. We are to be godly because God has given us everything we need in order to be godly. That we are to pursue a life of godliness so that we can become partakers of the divine nature. And look, God can call us to all of that because of verse 1, where we looked a couple weeks ago at the fact that Jesus has accomplished something for us. He grounds all of this uh, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that Jesus has accomplished something absolutely life-changing that enables all of this to be a reality. Now, what has Jesus accomplished? Well, there's a lot that he's accomplished. One thing I want to point out today is that through the death of Christ, Jesus has disarmed the dark and spiritual forces that work against our pursuit of godliness. He's disarmed them. He has broken the chains of sin in our lives so that we can actually pursue a life of godliness. Listen to how Colossians 2 describes this. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, this is really important to understand, because what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago is that the innocent, perfect Son of God canceled the record of debt created by our sin through his death on The cross. What that means is that there was this record, maybe this scroll, some sort of account of all of our sins, the the thousands and thousands and thousands of our sins. All of our sins. Jesus took that record and he nailed it to the cross and he declared paid in full. All of the demands through his death and his resurrection, he fulfilled. All right, he basically took that record and ripped it up and and shredded it and said, I've already paid for all of the sin that humanity has committed. That's what he has done. And so through his death, forgiveness is possible, and through his resurrection and his perfect life, he can offer us a type of righteousness which makes us clean before God. And so if you place your faith, if you trust in Jesus, and turn from your sins, that righteousness that Jesus has is now yours. That is yours. You are now accepted before God and saved. All right, now that is what Peter grounds this imperative in. But what's important to understand is that Jesus has not only provided this type of of forgiveness, but he now empowers us to pursue a life of godliness. Again, not in terms of earning our salvation, but to live a life pleasing to him because he already earned it for us. This is important. As you think about this call to climb this spiritual ladder, it will not work if you're climbing it in order to earn salvation, in order to get God to love you more, In order to become accepted before God, that's not how Christianity works. We are not talking about the ladder of salvation here. That if you're trying to work and perform and and cultivate all kinds of good works in order to be saved, that ladder has an infinite amount of rungs to it. You'll never get to the top of it, you'll never earn your salvation. The standard is perfection, and you're not perfect. All right, so we're not talking about a ladder of salvation. We're talking about a ladder of virtue and godliness, because this is how Christianity works. To use the metaphor, spiritually speaking, you and I, uh, we, we, in, our, in our sin, we were these dead corpses lying on the ground. And what God did, by his grace and through Jesus, is he caused us to, uh, to, to be alive in Christ, And he placed us on this spiritual ladder of godliness. And now he calls us to climb. And oh, by the way, he provides everything we need in order to climb and get to the top of godliness and virtue. And so now we climb with joy in our hearts, not because it's easy, but because we're climbing in light of the fact that Jesus has already earned our salvation for us. And so we climb being forgiven people. We climb being set free from our sins. We climb knowing that we are eternally loved by God forever and ever. And so Peter is, is grounding this imperative to climb in that reality that Jesus has done everything for us. And so, out of gratitude and out of joy, we are to climb. Isn't that a wonderful motivation that we get to climb not to earn salvation? but because Jesus has already done that for us. Now, one of the reasons why I love Second Peter is Peter provides for us so many motivations and reasons to pursue godliness. In fact, there are over 20 different motivations or reasons for godliness. I know you're looking at that like I can't even read that. If you want to take a picture of that and zoom in, you can. Uh, and, and I might be able to share this in the E! News this week. But these are 20 different motivations for obedience in 2 Peter. And, and what I love about these motivations is, again, we don't follow a God who gives us these commands and says, do this because I told you so. Because on one hand, that's helpful, but sometimes that falls short when you're in the midst of temptation. When you're trying to decide to say yes to godliness and no to sin, Sometimes it's really helpful to have all of these various motivations in order to convince our hearts to pursue godliness. And so God in his kindness, in his love for us, his care for us, has provided all of these reasons that are for our good, for our flourishing, and for our joy. And just like how I needed motivation to get up on that ladder and clean out my gutter, so too we need the proper motivation to pursuing godliness, and Peter gives it all throughout this letter. All right, so for this reason, this is really important motivation. The second thing I want to point out, though, is the method of climbing. So how do we climb? And before I get into the specifics here of how to climb, I want to address these eight rungs in the spiritual ladder of virtue, these eight godly characteristics that we're called uh, to cultivate. I want to encourage us this morning to view them these eight as a chain of attributes that at first they seem random, don't they? They seem kind of disconnected. It's almost like Peter is just like throwing things in the junk drawer of godliness. Like, oh yeah, we'll throw in some love here. We'll throw in steadfastness, and it just seems like he's throwing everything in there. But but rather, I want us to view them as a, an interconnected units that are inseparably linked. You can view them similarly as the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. 22 through 23, which the, the fruit there is actually just one fruit. In the Greek, it's, it's singular. And so what Paul is telling us in Galatians 5 is that this is one fruit of the Spirit that is manifested or displayed in various ways in and through the Spirit of God. I think here this chain of Christ-like virtues is very similar. One building off, of the, off the other as one unit, Okay. So let's maybe look at each of these. I'm just going to provide brief descriptions so we know what we're talking about uh, as we think about this spiritual ladder. The first one is faith, is faith. This is the first rung in the spiritual ladder, and the order is important as we walk through all eight of these. Now, faith here means a personal trust in God. A trusting in God is the root from which all of these other virtues spring, in fact, Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. Okay, so this makes sense that Peter would start here, that this faith in God is a declaration. God, I need you in order to grow. This is a declaration of dependence upon God, a trust upon God to give you everything you need in order to pursue godliness in your own life. And so living a life of faith is living a life dependent upon God and rejecting self-sufficiency. All right, so that's faith. The second rung, though, is virtue. All right, virtue. Now, this word means uh, moral excellence or goodness. It's very closely related to what is honorable. Okay, this would describe uh, someone's character uh, that is so pristine or noteworthy that they're worthy to be praised. And it makes sense that when you have faith in God, as you depend upon God, that this is cultivated in and through your life so you can see how they are connected. The next one, though, is knowledge. And knowledge, as we've mentioned the last couple of weeks, is a key theme in this letter. And again, this is not a theoretical knowledge of God or an abstract knowledge of God, but a personal knowledge of God. It refers to an experiential knowledge, not merely to a passing acquaintance. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says it this way, that he who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet, right? So when you come to know God, you want to know him more and more and more. And that's what Peter is calling us to here, to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the well of who God is, this infinite and endless well. So we're to keep going, keep growing, keep learning and experiencing all that God is. So knowledge. Next one is self-control. This points to the, the individual who has the ability, the power, the dominion over oneself. Okay? It means to have personal restraint over emotions, over desires, and over passions. This is someone who's not reactionary to life or the circumstances of life, but someone who's controlled. Okay? When life bumps you, and it bumps you every single day, things happen that you didn't anticipate What comes out of you? What spills over? Well, if you're filled with faith, knowledge, and virtue, what spills out of you will be Christ-likeness. Someone who has this type of self-control displays that as they walk through life. The next one here is steadfastness, or uh, some translations have perseverance. This literally means to abide under. It means to remain under and bear a heavy load. It describes even the the quality of someone's character in the midst of of a trial. They refuse to give in. They refuse to run to different forms of escapism or or different forms of, of, of ways to numb the pain as they go through hardship. So there's an element of endurance with this, that whatever the trial, whatever the affliction, whatever the testing, this person remains there as long as God sees fit, relying on the divine power that he provides. Okay, the next rung here, the next step is godliness or holiness. This is a a basic expression for Christ-likeness. And you can notice that Paul even links the knowledge of God with godliness in Titus 1.1. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So there is a link to some of these rungs, as I've mentioned. And then the next one here is brotherly affection. Uh, This describes the love and the affection that family members extend to one another that's different uh, in comparison to non-family members, right? We're called to love everybody, but we treat those who are in our family differently than those who are outside of our family. And so what Peter's calling us to is that if you belong to Jesus, you're part of a spiritual family, that you have brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, And we're called to show affection and love and affirmation uh, to those in uh, God's family. There's a corporate solidarity uh, with that. And then the final rung in the spiritual ladder is the crown jewel of the Christian virtue. It's love. Love is the apex of virtue, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, Paul said that love is the goal of Christian teaching, 1 Timothy 1.5. Love is the most excellent way, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Love sums up all of the other virtues, Colossians 3, uh, 14. It's important to be reminded that love is not passive. Love is not a feeling. (laughs) Love is a choice. It's an act of the will. Biblically speaking, love requires that we put forth effort, that we put forth work and strain. All right, so those are the eight steps, eight rungs in the spiritual, I mean, just pause here and just ask you, as you reflect on these eight, how present and how consistent are these eight characteristics in your own life? As you even hear some of the descriptions, as you think about and you have kind of a self-awareness, how present are these attributes? Or maybe to put it differently, if I were to ask someone close to you, maybe a close friend, a spouse, maybe uh, one of your kids, describe for me you using eight descriptors, all right? Would they choose any of these eight to describe who you are and how you live? Would they choose all eight? Would they choose maybe one or two? Would they choose any at all? See, maybe you're, you're reflecting, you're thinking, man, I've got some gaps in this ladder, I've got maybe one or two, but I've I've skipped some steps somehow. Or or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm not even close to the ladder. <laughs> like, I, I'm not only not climbing up, but I can't even see where the ladder is right now. Look, if that's you today, let me just encourage you. Peter gives us verse 5 for you today, that Peter is going to lay down a challenge, he's going to lay down a hammer for us today by by encouraging us to grow, by reminding us that you can grow, that in God's power you can take steps. And so looking at verse five, Peter now explains how we are to climb this ladder. Look with me at verse five. There's nothing, look, there is nothing mysterious. Or, or just crazy insight that Peter calls us to, but he says in verse 5, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith and to supplement your faith with all of these things. That sounds very basic, doesn't it? And maybe if you're here wondering, what is the secret to the Christian life? What's the secret to growth? and you're looking for some mysterious answer or for God just to zap you with some type of mysterious power, you're not going to get that this morning. You're going to be challenged to, in some translations say, apply all diligence in order to grow. This means to bring all of your energy to bear. means to bend every effort toward this direction. This is what Peter is calling us to, in order to grow. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes strain. You can't sit there and expect to cultivate Christ-likeness. And look, I'm going to challenge us this morning to to consider and to evaluate how much effort we put forth towards Christ-likeness. Man, I I was even thinking about this command this week, and I was reflecting on what do I give my effort toward in my life? I was just thinking about, man, if I'm to make every effort, where do I invest my effort in my life? And I was thinking about that, and there's all kinds of areas. I put effort towards my family, my wife, my kids. I want to be the best husband, the best father I can be. put effort towards being a faithful pastor and preacher. put effort towards being a good friend to the relationships in my life. I put forth some effort in working out. Probably need to put more effort in that. Put forth effort in um, my lawn and apparently cleaning my gutters, right? Like I put forth effort in all kinds of areas of my life, and so do you. So let me press into that just for a moment here and ask you a follow-up question of what do you work hardest at in your life? What do you put most effort toward? Not just any effort, but what do you deem worthy enough for your heart your time and your energy most in your life, as you think about that. Because that I think is connected to the how we climb, because Peter is calling us to make every effort to climb and cultivate Christ's likeness, to devote the most energy, the most effort, the most time toward being as godly as possible. And look, this isn't a a call to compartmentalize your godliness. This isn't an either-or situation where I can either be a good employee or I can be godly. I can either be a good parent or be godly. No, no, no. Peter's calling us to be godly as you work, be godly as you parent, be godly as you interact with your spouse. Because the reality is, from the outside at least, you can be a good employee and not be very godly. Right, based on the exterior, based on what the world considers. This is a calling to be godly in every area of our lives. Man, I, if some of us pursued godliness like we pursue some of the other things in our lives, the reality is, is that some of us would be way higher up on the spiritual ladder than we are right now. And I know that sounds harsh this morning. But if you consider your own life today, you would say, yeah, that's, that's true. That I, I've been giving my effort to all kinds of other things and maybe not to godliness. Look, the reality is some of us have even struggled just memorizing two verses in the Bible. Some of us just haven't done it. And yet, you've been on social media all week. right? Some of us haven't read through Second Peter once in the last couple of weeks even though that was a challenge laid before you in order to grow in godliness, but you've been shows on, on Netflix the last couple of weeks. You've spent how many hours working out or, or shopping or doing whatever? And, and, and I'm, I'm calling, and I'm not knocking those things. Well, no, I am knocking those things. If, if you're not putting forth the, the effort that God's Word's calling you to towards godliness, then yeah, you need to reprioritize your life. Because maybe you've been asking yourself the question, why don't I experience God more? Why have I not grown more spiritually, substantially lately? If you're asking yourself the question, why does God feel distant? Why do I struggle with the same sin in my life of of anger or bitterness or covetousness or lust, and I keep falling into this? Well, verses five through seven would respond to those questions with a question. It would say, well, are you making every effort towards godliness? Or are you giving godliness leftovers? Kind of whatever's left in the tank, that's what you'll give to cultivating Christlikeness. And if that's true, then guess what? Verses three and four would also have something to say about that. Verses three and four would say, you have no excuse, no excuse. You have been given everything you need to live a godly life. Everything you need. And so look, this challenge before you, I know I'm pressing this morning, but the challenge here is not a let go and let God mentality. That phrase is so unbiblical, you're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. That's a type of Christianese garbage that we cannot use in our vernacular as we're talking about the Christian life. What this is calling us to is a let God and let's go (laughs) Like, let God and get after Christ likeness, godliness, cultivating these virtues in our lives. You've been given everything you need supernatural power. Get after it. Get after Christ likeness like you do in other areas of your life. Like, to the degree that someone who looks at your life and sees how you invest your energy would conclude that person's number one priority is to look more and more like Jesus. Like, that's what we want. Like, we want you to lay your head on the pillow at night and just feel exhausted, not because of all the things going on today, but because you spent every effort in trying to grow and become more like Jesus. Look, church, why is this so important? Why am I pressing in here? Why does Peter press in here? Because you and I, we do not drift towards godliness. We drift away from godliness. We do not stumble into Christ likeness; We stumble into sin. And so if, if you're just waiting for God to magically zap you, and then you'll be godly, you've got the wrong mindset here. This command, this is a clear exhortation to be intentional and not passive in our pursuit of godliness. C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, which I highly recommend. You will go through it in less than a day. Uh, It's a book where C.S. Lewis is writing as an experienced demon who's writing to a younger demon that he's mentoring about how to trip up Christians. And he writes this. He says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. It is subtle, small steps farther and farther away from God until you wake up one morning and you realize, not only am I not climbing this ladder of virtue, but I'm nowhere near the ladder at all. And the strategy that our enemy uses is often not the big sins, is often not the spectacular sins. It is the small sins, small compromises, right? These small choices that we make each and every day, the failure to take that thought captive and this thought captive, the, the skipping out on time alone, with God, all of these small decisions so that the cumulative effect is that incrementally we have moved farther and farther away from God. Now I wonder, could that be happening in your life right now? Does that describe you? Or you're avoiding the big sins, but what about the small sins, the small compromises? As you consider your passion your commitment towards godliness, is it leaking? Has there been a slow, subtle, gradual decline spiritually? Look, this is why we need verse five. This is why we need this spiritual spanking from Peter this morning. This challenge here to make every effort to cultivate godliness. That you and I, we have to wake up in the morning and before we put two feet on the ground, we have to cry out to the Lord and say, God, make it my number one priority today to take one step towards cultivating likeness. Like you're in a war. You are in a spiritual war every day. And if you're unaware of that, then the enemy is gaining ground in your life more than you are aware of. That you are in this spiritual battle with a real spiritual enemy who has mastered all forms of trickery, who knows you better than you know yourself, knows all of your weak points, knows those spots in your life to lay snares of trap. And so if you're not making every effort, you're gonna fall off this spiritual ladder of godliness. And look, I wanna encourage us. I know I'm over my time, but look, you are not alone in this. There is a wonderful and mysterious collaboration with the creator of the universe. There's this synergy of God's power and our efforts in climbing this ladder. You see it in verse three and five. Divine power, make every effort. But Paul uh, also picks up on this mystery. In Philippians 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not alone. I love uh, Jerry Bridges talks about this synergistic work of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit's work is a synergistic work, which refers to occasions that combine our effort with his enabling power. But this isn't a pure synergism, as if we in the Spirit each contributed equal power to the task. Rather, we work as he enables us to work. So we use the expression qualified synergism. We're 100% dependent on his power in order to participate in the work. And then he quotes Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Like, you're not alone. That growth is up to you. But it's not only up to you. Maybe to illustrate this, and I will close with this, I promise. Um, I have two kids right now who love climbing trees. All right, one who's borderline obsessed with climbing trees. But what she does is she comes up to me and she says, Daddy, I want to climb the tree, but can you help me? She's too short. She can't reach that first branch. So we go out there, and, and I, I pick her up, and I get her as close as I can to the branch and I say, I want you to pull yourself up at, with all of your might, all, all the strength that you have. I want you to strain and, and pull yourself up into that tree. And so she's huffing and puffing, and she's you know, exercising all of her little strength to get you know, closer to that branch and pull herself up. All the while, I'm underneath, and I'm gently and slowly pushing her closer and closer to that branch. And she gets to that tree. And what did she say? I did it, Daddy. I climbed the tree, right? Now, did she exercise effort and strength to climb that tree? Absolutely. Her face is red, shoving and puffing. Would she have been able to do it without me? Absolutely not. And look, there are some today where you are standing next to the metaphorical tree of spiritual growth. And you've got your hands on your hip, and you're wondering, man, how do I get up there? I want to be up there. I see other people are up in the tree enjoying Christlikeness, but you're just waiting there. Maybe you're anticipating a Lord of the Rings you know, type of situation where they pick you up and put you on that tree and just magically you're up there. That, that's not how it's going to work. The calling here is that you'll only experience God's power in your life when you try to climb, when you exercise Efforts in the same way that my daughter experienced my assistance win when, when she started to try to reach for that branch. That's the calling here: that we experience God's divine power when we make every effort to grow. So, where are you today? Where are you spiritually as you consider the spiritual ladder in your own life? Are you one who's like, I, I can't even see the ladder. I don't even know where it is. And look, the reality is we all have uh, gutters that are clogged with sin. All of us do. We need to unclog that and pursue godliness. But where are you as you consider your pursuit of godliness? Where are you on the rungs? And where do you need to go today? I want to just give us a moment here, just a minute, just to reflect before the benediction that some of us need to just cry out to the Lord for help. Some of us need to, right now in this moment, reprioritize things in our life, priorities in our life that are out of whack. Some of us just need to reconfigure some of the commitments to make godliness our number one aim in life. So I want you to do that right now, just some business with the Lord, and I'll close this with the benediction. God, we confess to you this morning that we are weak and inadequate, sinful people. God, we feel our neediness for you Lord, as we have been called uh, to grow in godliness, as 2 Peter 1.5 calls us to, to make every effort, God, we want to be motivated not out of guilt this morning, but out of grace. Oh God, would you empower us, give us the motivation that is rooted in Jesus and not our performance. God, we, we love the fact that your love for us doesn't grow cold Lord, you can't love us more or less than you do right now in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would empower us, take steps in growing in Christ's likeness that is motivated out of gratitude for all that you've done. God, thank you that you have supplied all that we need for the task before us. Help us to be diligent in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.